views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up, no matter if the prize is... Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. A program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Currently hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas, with Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed, and Millions for Prisoners Human Rights Coalition Communication Manager Leila Aziz. On this weekly broadcast, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking as it is allowed through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, along with projects and people who help combat it. We are the official educational and introductory program representing the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights Coalition. If you want to know about the new abolitionist movement, what it is and what it's about, this is officially the place to start. Today is the December 6, 2017 broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. As always, we'll have discussions, examine current news, and connect all the dots about modern legalized slavery. Our abolitionist tonight in profile is Moses Brown. In this segment, For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion, we will remember the amazing adventure of Wesley Harris. Our riders of the 21st Century Underground Railroad are Larry and Calvin Allen, Omar Sanders, and Marcellius Bradford. They were convicted of the October 1986 kidnapping, rape, and murder of 23-year-old medical student Lori Moschetti in Chicago, Illinois. In December 2001, the convictions against all men were vacated and charges dropped. After DNA tests on spermatozoa and hairs found on Rossetti's body and in her car proved that none of the men were her assailants. Have a question or a comment? You can call in toll-free at 1-866-510-9025. You can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash Network. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Brother Scotty? Hey, Layla. Hey, what's going on, Max? Um, I'm doing the best that I can under these current conditions. Just been a very taxing day. Uh, very busy, been having a lot of technical issues because of high traffic to Black Talk Radio Network. So I guess that's good news uh, that a lot of people, and I suspect the traffic is related to what's going on in Libya and the slavery and human trafficking that 
has been going on for quite some time that independent media has been reporting on for years now. And it's just now coming to the attention of the masses because of a CNN report. And I guess you could say better late than never, but I suspect that's why we're getting so much traffic. But I've been fighting through it. And as they say, the show must go on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Is uh, Layla with us or was she be coming in late? I, I didn't know if her number was um, there. she? I, she have, she, I don't she know her telephone number by heart. I do know that she has some issues coming up with a friend. Uh, she was trying to take care of that, and she says that she might be joining us late. So um, I'm not sure if that Los Angeles caller is her because I haven't memorized her number yet. Um, but if she's on the board, she can hit star star. No doubt, no doubt, man. Uh, you know, just this December 2nd, a few days ago, they celebrated the uh, International Day for the Abolition of Slavery. Uh, I don't know if you had knew that or not. I think you've seen it, right? Yeah, I didn't pay it much attention because I know slavery ain't never been abolished. Well, you know, I, I paid it some attention mainly because of the narrative. And uh, I got one of the articles that came out of antislavery.org who actually are connecting their legacy of what they're doing now, fighting slavery across the world, all the way back to the abolition of slavery in the British colonies. And it's kind of uh, it's ironic, you know what I mean? Like, we talk about this all the time. But they show how their history went from 1800s up to the 1900s to the 2000s. And they talk about the abolition of slavery prior to the Civil War. And then they talk about the abolition of slavery after the Civil War. At no point do they make a distinction between legal and illegal. Because prior to the Civil War, they were fighting legalized slavery, which was is a, a whole different animal now. You're talking about state-sanctioned legal slavery. And that's what they were fighting against then. That's what our ancestors fought against, like Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth. And then after the Civil War, they keep their legacy going fighting illegal slavery. But as I said, they don't make any distinction whatsoever. And it's pretty obvious that they don't recognize legalized slavery anymore. Like they're like, oh, didn't Martin Luther King solve that problem? Listen, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm dealing in semantics here or what. But how can you abolish slavery several times? You know? And and then how do you abolish E, something that's already illegal. It's already illegal. If you're talking about like what's going on in Libya right now, since they really don't have a government and, right. you know, it's really three different factions fighting each other for control. And some of those factions are practicing slavery that has already been outlawed under international law. Um, mentioned in the, uh, what is it? The Human Rights Convention and Declaration of Human Rights, where it talks about abolishing slavery in all its forms. So that's already illegal. So you can't abolish that. That What you can do with illegal slavery is continue to prohibit it. It's prohibited by law already. So you, you're not really abolishing something that is already prohibited under law. When we're talking about abolitionism, I hope that we're on the same page and we're talking about 
legalized slavery. For example, let's use the um, the what was it? Alcohol prohibition. Okay, uh, alcohol prohibition. Uh, the way that they got rid of alcohol prohibition is to to abolish the I forget which amendment it was. It actually took a constitutional amendment for them to even make slavery illegal. But uh, that might not have been the greatest example. But I'm I, I know that true abolitionists know what I'm speaking of. How can you already how can you abolish something that's already that's prohibited already. Oh. under the law? You know, right. and, and, and so are we saying, you know, and I think I mentioned last week that the abolitionist movement, we do need to to acknowledge and help highlight whenever we see these instances of slavery and human trafficking that's already outlawed. OK, yeah, we're doing that. Too. Yeah, because it's a moral it's a moral position. And but at the same time, you know, I've taken issue with other groups who want to call themselves abolitionists and they're only addressing something that's already outlawed, but they don't want to recognize that which has been legalized, the slavery that has been legalized and, and has never been abolished in the United States. You're absolutely right. You can't abolish something that is already illegal. Abolition is a legal term. So where you're trying to legally get rid of something. You're putting it in your laws to, to stop it. But slavery is an ancient evil beast. It's always been around in some form or another. And when you're fighting illegal slavery, you're an anti-slavery activist. You're not an abolitionist. And let me read what they, they wrote in here. It's, it's real short about who they are and what they do. They start out with saying, let us finish what we started. When the campaigners who led the, to abolition of slavery in British co colonies found anti-slavery society today, Anti-Slavery International, they would be surprised that in 2017, there are still over 40 million people in slavery worldwide. So on the International Day for the Abolition of Slavery, while we celebrate this historic successes in fighting slavery, we are also shining a light on the daily reality experienced by so many around the world, people who are abused, exploited, and denied their freedom. To inspire today's fight against this abhorrent crime, we are looking at the successes of our predecessors who uh, our predecessors achieved in the fight against slavery. And then they tell you to read on to find more about their history. And that's what they listed, connecting the dots all the way from the anti-slavery society founded by Thomas Clarkson up to 2017. And once they get past the 1850 mark, they don't make any distinction between legalized and illegal slavery. I mean, uh, the Civil War hadn't even started by 1850, you know? So, uh, you know, I, that's why I, I don't want to argue with these people and go back and forth with them. I mean, they're, I'm open to a conversation with them, but, I'm, you know, I just don't have time to be wasting debating people about what they're actually fighting. You know, again, you we've already made it clear, Max. I think you and I are in agreement that you're not practicing abolitionism when you're going after people who are enslaving people that is illegal, all right? Abolitionism is about abolishing state-sanctioned slavery. That's right. 
That's a big, big difference. And I suspect that state-sanctioned slavery is far worse due to the fact that people can walk up and down the street like they don't see nothing, which is reminiscent of the 1830s and the 1840s and 50s when people would be rolling up and down the street watching the slaves being beaten or whipped or tugging around and not say a word, just go on about their business. That's a terrible society where you have to live like that, like today, where we have to sit around and watch people being hunted in the streets over things like sagging pants or marijuana use or uh, failure to pay for uh, child support or any kind of debt-related things with courts and fines and fees. It's just ridiculous, man. And uh, it's become such a part of our society that we don't even blink twice at it anymore, which is exactly the same thing that happened in the 16, 17, and 1800s. People didn't even blink. It was just a part of everyday society. And that is truly terrible. Right. And I I just want to, because again, I haven't memorized her number yet. So Sister Layla, whenever you're ready to join us, hit star star if you're on the board to unmute yourself. But Max, most of the stories that I picked for us tonight involve, oh, there's Sister Layla. How are you tonight, sis? I'm doing very well. And thank you for those simple instructions. I was pressing star six. (laughs) (laughs) Peace, peace, and welcome home. Yes, and and we hope that your friend is doing better, and we understand, you know, things like that happen, uh, but we holding it down for you, sis, but we're glad that you're on with us now. Uh, Max, most Thank of the you, stories Scott. that I picked tonight involve slave catcher brutality, and I think it is appropriate to talk about the, and I don't like that word, anniversary, or the observance that we observed the assassination of Fred Hampton and Mark Clark of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party, which occurred in Chicago, and the assassins were the Chicago police, and that occurred on December the 4th, 1969. I I had just turned three years old uh, when those two courageous young men were assassinated by the Chicago police. And I also think that, you know, this is how I measure how much progress we have made in this country or worldwide on any particular issue is by judging it by such historical occurrences. So if we was to, you know, uh, uh, pay attention to the issue of police brutality, violence, and murder uh, that occurs in the United States and use that assassination in 1969, again, December the 4th, um, as a a point, you know, the beginning point. How far, uh, Sister Layla and and, and, uh, Brother Max, would you say we have come in addressing this issue in 2017? I would say not far at all. It's alarming that um, Fred Hampton was actually murdered in uh, uh, not state, well, state-sanctioned murder, the FBI, and had a hand in his assassination working with the local police department. And we still have political prisoners um, who are in prison for life for fighting for nothing else than for civil rights, for human rights. And not only that, we still have a crooked government 
where um, both the national and the state um, police forces are um, participating in criminal and immoral and unethical acts and assassinating people. So I don't think we've come far at all. Yeah, it's not really a lot more I can add to that, Scotty Reed. Uh, we still have political prisoners sitting in prisons for 40, 50 years. We've still got people being mowed down and murdered in the streets by police for a variety of reasons. And it, you don't have to be some kind of organizer just to get killed by police anymore. Uh, a friend of mine was just interviewed by the FBI a couple of days ago for something she posted on Facebook. So, you know, they, they're they're... The danger is real. And now with drones out here murdering people overseas, including American citizens. Yes, and and don't forget, Max, the recent BIE, Black Identity Extremist Report. Very reminiscent of J. Edgar Hoover's COINTELPRO program. Yes, it is. So, you know, I, I worry about all of our safety on a regular basis, but, you know, God is protecting us. I mean, if they want to get you, they'll get you. It's as simple as that. There ain't nobody that's immune. and It doesn't matter how big you are. And a lot of our heroes are dead because of that. Right. So I, we just, I, I tell you, the more that the times seem to change as the old saying goes, the more it seems that it stays the same. Now, I was attempting, I'm telling you, I'm just having all kind of issues. I was attempting to pull up a, a video of Fred Hampton, but I can't get it to work right now. So I perhaps I'll share that during one of our uh, break at the top of the hour. So, okay. All right. Sounds good, Scott. You want to get into the uh, stories, or you want to tell some more about uh, talk some more about Fred Hampton? Well, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about Fred Hampton, cause it kind of ties into a story, or I should say, a little news commentary that I do every Wednesday for Tanya Free and Friends. And I was talking about this case of this police officer, police captain in Indiana, uh, Plainsville. Plainsfield, I believe, is the name of the city. And she was given this this training class to other officers. Again, she's a police captain. She's the ranking officer in the room giving this training class. And the training class was 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 about trans people, how the police can better treat trans uh sexuals and whatnot. And she cited a statistic said that trans people uh suffer police brutality or violence um they are more like what 3.3 point uh 3.32% more likely or times likely than anybody else or any other group to suffer this violence now one of the things that i learned from studying the black panther party in the later years of malcolm x when he said his words i came into my own mind and they didn't were not separating the victims and i'm just questioning why are we separating victims along gender lines along uh class lines or along racial lines to me a victim of police brutality is a victim of police brutality it shouldn't matter to me what their political classification is that has been given to them by this system or by people and, you know, um, Fred Hampton kind of demonstrated that in his activism and how he pulled 
several different groups together to combat this system. And I, again, I feel like, you know, we're going backwards. We're going backwards that, you know, is it okay for us to, to culturally recognize our separate groups? Of course it is. Okay. All of us have, have different cultural uh, practices and things that we recognize, uh, uh, things that we share in common with each other. But when it comes to oppression by a state actor like the U.S. government or Illinois, you know, since since they were in on it or the municipal government of Chicago, it seems to me that we should be following the Black Panther model and primarily Fred Hampton's model who was the first one to come up with a rainbow coalition. And then later, Jesse Jackson hijacked that term and even copyrighted the doggone term or trademarked the term rainbow coalition. So I'm like, you know, when it comes to victims of slavery and human trafficking, I I, I just think it's counterproductive so for us to be separating the groups. And I think we should be pulling the victims together to become all to become abolitionists. When we look at the abolitionists that we've often profiled, they were part of rainbow coalitions, were they not? If, if history, if my reading of the history serves me correctly, and so I think it's a detriment to the overall movement against slavery and human trafficking when we allow ourselves to be separated out. I don't want to see a slave catcher violence against anyone. I don't want to see anyone, regardless of their gender, sexual orientation, racial classification, or economic situation. I don't want to see anyone become a slave in this system. And I, I don't know, maybe that's that's just me with wishful thinking or or maybe I'm being too much of an idealist and what have you, but that that's just how I really feel, Max and Layla. And I know we've had some conversations about this, Scotty. And I can say personally that um as far as me understanding intersectional organizing, I've had to step back just personally and kind of look at, because I would get offended when a person would say, well, we're dealing with gay. No, we're not. We're dealing with this, slavery. And um, until I started to realize what happened with um, particularly black people during the um, civil rights movement and particularly black women during the um, womanist, which some call the feminist movement, and how um, they were completely left behind because our needs weren't met, I started trying to understand why do people keep pushing this that trans women are being killed at an alarming rate. Why do they keep pushing this, that trans women? And then a little further than that, when I would go and hit the street and see the people that were out there with me, the majority of them were from the LGBT community. And I had to ask myself, why are they supporting you like this? A lot of it has to do with the groundwork that Black Lives Matter had already established um, with the LGBTQ community. But then I had to ask myself, how can I ask you, some of them white, trans people who don't even deal with what I deal with to stand with me if I can't acknowledge the things that are paining you. The deeper I got is black trans people have the highest level of, um, of damage that's done physically and, and murder. And But I also see a part that, and they say the black community is homophobic. I don't think we have enough time for that. But I do 
common understanding of men don't want to be tricked and women and trans women who consider themselves women don't want to be killed and abused. Neither one of us want to be abused by the police. So how we deal with that, I think, in just acknowledging that they have their certain proportional attributes to this, what we're fighting, I think we can acknowledge that respectfully and then continue to push on together, leaving no one behind. That's just my two things, my two things, my take. Okay, allow, allow me to retort. I don't think anyone should be <laughs> abused, period. Okay, now if we're talking about community violence where we have citizen-on-citizen violence. To me, that's, se- that's a separate issue than state-sanctioned slavery and human trafficking. Um, this police woman, and I don't know if she was LGBT or not, you know, she kind of looked like she might have been, um, you know, she had male attributes, but, you know, the story didn't tell me what that was. But I'm like, why is the police sitting up here saying that trans people suffer more police violence than any other group. Why Why was that the focus of the police training? Shouldn't the police training be focusing on the abuse of human beings and nobody should be abused? So that's what I, that's what I don't get. In terms of slavery and human traffic, I'm not talking about street violence where we got citizens uh, committing acts of violence against citizens for whatever reason, but I'm saying a slave is a slave. When I look at a slave on a prison plantation today, I'm not at, I'm not seeing a trans person. I'm not seeing a, a a heterosexual person. I'm seeing a victim of slavery and human trafficking, and I just don't get I don't get why we're trying to separate them out. Um, for another, let me throw this out as an example. I asked the question today, is the goal to stop slave catcher violence or is the goal to prove that slave catcher violence happens to one group more than it happens to another group? Because it seems to me a lot of people are devoting a whole lot of energy and resources in trying to say that black people suffer police violence more than any other group like there's some kind of competition or something like there's a prize for who's the most abused when when i'm saying when where i'm saying is it shouldn't matter what their skin color is we want i want to stop slave catcher violence against everyone and i think it's already been proven by the statistics that black people like you mentioned trans black people suffer more violence. Well, is it because they trans or is it because they black? I don't think that's a question I need to concern myself with when I know that the violence of slave catchers against them is wrong. It don't matter what their classification is. So I, I hope I'm making myself clear. You are, but I think you're, 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 the stance that you're taking is Scotty's stance. And it's appreciated because not everybody can rise up to the occasion and, and just say, period, um, police brutality is wrong. Um, certain people, and a lot of people, have their own... Uh, the trans community has a lot of people that are disgusted by it. Let's just be honest. 
They talk about just the same way we check white people about what they say at their dinner table. We say some stuff at our dinner table, and they do too about trans people. They are not the most embraced group because they're significantly different than how a lot of us look at how you get what you do in this world. Okay, fine. I don't know how the police did their statistics on trans people having the highest level of police brutality when they can never admit that black people have a high level of police brutality. So I don't know where they're getting these statistics from and if they're really, really dealing with those or if the police officer just happened to empathize with that group. I'm saying as a whole, in order to push forward and look at not just the symptoms of the disease, but the reason of the disease, we have to look at what the police are looking at when they're murdering people, when they're killing people, and their different issues. Now, I'm about abolishing the police. And the work that we need to do to abolish the police, I'm about transformative justice, all of that. But if we're looking at just holding the police accountable and, and what they're doing, that, that takes, uh, why did you just slam this man's head on the ground after she said, whatever, baby, and you found out that was a man? Or why, when you saw this black man and he reached behind, did you think that automatically meant he was reaching for a weapon when he was giving you his wallet? So are these things that you're doing because that's how you react to all people? Or are these things you're doing because you have implicit bias to these different individuals? And so a police officer, I guess if you want the police to be here forever, would want to correct those um, if you're trying to be accountable, which most aren't, but it sounds like whoever this is on that issue they were trying to. It doesn't flush with me because I don't really think the police are needed in my community. But bigger than that, the being able to speak about trans lives, though, at this point in my life, I think that conversation needs to happen because in my community, I don't want us to end up acting like our oppressor when we get rid of the police, if that makes any sense. Yes, that, that makes that makes uh, sense to me, Sister Layla. But again, I, again, like you said, this is Scotty's perspective. I'm, I'm speaking for myself here. But it seems to me, though, that Okay, for example, they say you're stronger of, you know, a closed fist is stronger than an open hand. All right. And so with that open hand, we got five fingers that represent this group. Let's say it rep- this one represents black males. This one represents black females. This one represents uh, Hispanic males. This one represents the trans community. This, And I'm like, we all fighting the same thing. Why are we why are we separating ourselves instead of closing that fist and punching a slave catcher in the mouth? It's like, you know, it's like we're critic we're we're focusing on our differences instead of our commonality and our common enemy. Again, so you know, that's a different conversation about how uh trans people are treated in the black community or any community. I don't think that the black community mistreats trans any more than any other community, okay? That's a societal uh, problem. And we have those, we've had those conversations on Black Talk Radio, but as a separate issue, just focusing on that one issue. But for me, when it comes, and again, I'm just speaking for myself, uh, everyone, when it comes to slavery and human trafficking, I don't see a need for us to separate ourselves. I don't need to ask this. Why did you body slam that woman? Is it because she had on pink? Is it because she had on rainbow colors? Was it because you didn't, you know, like the texture of her hair? I don't need to know all that. 
Because I know him body slamming that woman was wrong. So I don't need to spend my time trying to figure out what was his specific motivation when I already witnessed the crime and I just need to have the crime prosecuted. Am I making sense there? Yeah, but are we, if we do that, aren't we going to let them get away with blatant racism? Or if we take your approach, are you saying the end result will eliminate racism? Let's take the trans out of it. If we don't say you did that because this was a black man, I have black sons. You, you killed this black boy because he was a black man. If we say, no, you killed this person, this human being, and you should be held accountable, are we going to get the result that we want? Um, I'm going to say no because I saw some statistics today. No matter what the color of the victim, no matter what the racial classification of the victim, cops are never held accountable. And let's not forget, just like we were talking about Fred Hampton, there were black cops involved in that as well. So then, you know, it becomes this this complicated issue. Well, how can it be white supremacy when it was a black cop or, or this or that? I'm saying that we know that this man murdered this man and why he murdered this man. I'm not concerning myself with. We just need to get this murderer off the street so he won't be around to murder somebody else. That That's the way I'm seeing it is that the end result is the same. Are we still on? Hello? I'm here. Still around. Um, Scotty, I, don't, I, I, I understand what you're saying. And your approach, I don't see that as har- being harmful. I do know that intersectionality is something that within the community they're really pushing, and that makes breaking down different things and different reasons that different people go through in understanding those. So I understand intersectionality, but I can also say that I don't see issues if we're going to blanket things and all push together with your approach. The only thing is, with intersectionality, they implemented that on, you know, you're going to look at the direct things that I deal with as a black woman. That's what intersectionality is and how those differ from you as a black man is because during a lot of these things, so many people's issues were left out. And if you look at it, if you look at the civil rights movement, us not demanding some of those issues that left us out uh, is some, part of the reason why the prison industrial slave complex still stands because we didn't want to say this is because of this and this is what black women go through this is something that black men go through and we're still dealing with those because we're not understanding the specifics on how this is capitalism and it's always going to find a reason for certain groups to get left out but then again if you can take a blanket statement and say you know police brutality is wrong this is how we're going to fix it I don't think that's an issue either but those are two different groups and two different generations that are going to have that conversation. And if then these two generations can push together, that's even better. So I'm not going to denounce your way of thinking or even say I disagree, but I do see both sides. Uh, I appreciate you know that. We, yes, we, we are here to have an honest dialogue so that we can uh, solve the problem. But here here's another issue, and this isn't even just related to trans, but I think it's insensitive I also think that it is counterproductive when we, some of us, deny that slave catcher violence happens to white people. All right. White men 
are the most shot down by slave catchers than any other group by their total number. So then the argument then becomes, oh, but black people are disproportionately shot based off of their population numbers. And so then those two groups are arguing with each other about who's being shot the most instead of those two groups coming together to address the people that's doing the shooting. Does that make sense? It's hard to have an ally with a group of people that know that, that, that are willing to let their people be dispendable in order to keep this system going. Like Lyndon B. Johnson said, all you got to do is trick a poor white person and they'll help you keep a black person down just to feel more, um, just to not feel inferior. So that conversation, having that with whites, I don't even think it's to my time to give them the benefit of the doubt in dealing with that because that is a cop-out. If a white person comes to me and says, well, more of us are killed, either you need to go back to grade school or this is your, these are tactics used by the alt-right in order to make their point. I don't have time for that. So, no, I do know that there's some strategic differences on me having black sons and a white woman having white sons and what the police can do to our sons and the chances of that happening. From the times of slavery, the first slave ship, the Africans said they knew it was going to be crazy over here because how they treated each other. So I'm not saying that white people don't do foul stuff to white people. This is their country, their system. They created this. I'm saying get your foot off our necks and stop killing our sons. Black lives matter. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Understood. I, I understand where you're coming from. I'm just saying that, hey, I will work with anybody like Malcolm X said, as long as they trying to change this miserable condition that exists on this earth. I'm trying to follow the model that was laid out by Fred Hampton for which he was murdered um, because he was a a very good organizer and able to pull these different uh, groups together. Now, in terms of somebody who wants a white, a white male, who doesn't want to address them. I'm not I'm not trying to reach out to them. Okay? I'm not I'm not. I'm not. But I say at the same time we got black people like Denzel Washington right now. What's his name? Did I say that right? Denzel. What's his name? The actor's name? Denzel Washington. Is it Denzel Washington? Yeah, Denzel Washington out there and he ain't the first and he won't be the last who is a black man who's out here telling us that we are the reason we're being victimized because it starts in the home. So I know all skin folk ain't kin folk. So again, I'm just, you know, my position is I work with anybody as long as they trying to end the system of slavery and human trafficking. And those who don't see that slavery and human trafficking is a problem then, you know, they across the battlefield from me. That's my opponent, regardless of their skin color or gender classification. You know, one of my uh, mentors and a former guest here on New Abolitionist Radio is Abby Odun Oyewole of The Last Poets. And he has said on numerous occasions that they don't divide and conquer. They conquer the divided. We divide ourselves. <laughs> we do it all the time. It's always, I just, you know, we're just saying there's always one group that feels they need more attention than another group. And instead of focusing on the issue at hand, we focus on what's good for that group, what that group's demands are. And I understand where Layla's coming from, like with the civil rights issues, if those groups had not 
been accounted for, then many of the rights attributed for them now wouldn't exist if they had not spoke up. But nonetheless, there is still that underlying connecting uh, issue of slavery and human trafficking. And then sometimes you have to look at the, the reality of certain things and start asking questions like, right now, let me ask you guys a question. Do men lie more than women? I can't answer that because I don't have any informa- any data to answer it. Lou, I do believe you think men no. Lie more than women? This is just me talking, and I say no, but men get caught more than women. <laughs> All right. Do you think men do more drugs than women? I don't know. No. You could ask questions like this successively, and it would probably be the same answers. No, or I don't know, or I don't think so. And I guess the point I'm making is, then how do we account for 96% of our prison population being men? How do we account for that? Are you telling me that even though there were more arrests for marijuana possession in 2016 than all violent crimes combined, that how we come to this point where we've got 96% of our prison population are men. If it's not all violent crimes, then does that mean they're doing more drugs? Does that mean that uh, they're lying more? Does that mean they're cheating more? I mean, are you just saying that men are so damn bad that 96% of you need to be in prison? I can answer that. questions like that, I wonder. I can answer that question. I can answer that question because the black male has always been the most demonized in this country. Um, I would even say, go to say worldwide. So the target was placed on our backs and everybody else was just collateral damage. But like I have, and you can attest to this, Max, is that I have been advocating for womenists to start paying more attention and get more involved in, in, in this issue because they are the fastest growing demographic right now is single mothers, especially at the state level. They, I think the last statistics I said is that I saw was an 800% increase perhaps in the last 10 years. So they catching up, bro. They, they catching up. But yet I don't see I don't see quite the alarm. And see, I've even said this before in the past. And I'm a black male. Okay? And I was like, wait a minute, why are we always focusing on black males? Why is the media always pointing at the black male when the black woman is an increasing target? See, so this then goes back to separating. Why they are separating us and getting us to see these, see ourselves as separate groups. And then these separate groups do not unite. They do not pool their resources. And, and, and the slave catchers always united and they win. So that, so I even see that within the black community. I'm like, what's the difference? You know, a, a, a slave is a slave. I don't care if it's a man, woman, a child is being brutalized and gunned down by these cops. I want it to end. I'm not interested in proving that black males are targeted more than black women. I'm not inter- I'm interested in stopping the targeting. Well, I, I guess that was the point I was trying to make is that we, we kind of get used to things. We get used to things and we look at them as normal. And uh, our oppressors 
will only go as far as we let them. Like literally, I mean, you know, like Fred, you're Douglas not asking said. any questions if you're just assuming everything is normal. Like 96 percent of the men uh, occupy these prison cells, or you know, uh, having states where there's only one percent black population, but they're being incarcerated at 18 to one or 17 to one. You got to ask questions about this because if you're not asking questions, then you're just normalizing it. You're just accepting it as okay. And the limits that of a tyrant are prescribed by the endurance of those whom they oppress. So we just keep letting them oppress us. By the way, that's Frederick Douglass's quote. We just let them do this and we normalize it, let it go. Then when we do finally stand up, they'll do what they always do. Why do you want to come asking about this now? Why you got something to say now? You didn't have nothing to say 20 years ago or 50 years ago. That's what they've been doing lately to the people who have been standing up about sexual harassment or molestations. They're asking those same questions. Why didn't you say something when it happened? Sometimes you don't realize how bad things are. And then when you finally do, you speak up. That is the illogical answer that they often give. I guess what I'm expressing, Sister Layla and Brother Max, is my frustration with the lack of progress and perhaps thinking that we need a new strategy because what we've been doing for the past 40, 50, 100, 200 years, 400 years ain't been working. Yes. Well, Scotty, I'd like to offer some hope uh, just from some of the things that I've been involved lately. You know, I've been working with people who are uh, considering themselves Garveyites. I've been working with Pan-Africanists. I've been working with the Republican New Africa. And one of the things that we've all been coming to agreement on is this, that we're dealing with slavery and human trafficking. And that's bringing these disparate disparate groups together who have different ideologies and different goals. But now they've got an agenda that we all share. Yes. Uh, This year, I've been invited to be one of the primary speakers at the uh, 50th anniversary of the Republic of New Africa. So, and they know why they're inviting me to come and bring the abolitionist message. And that just made me so happy, man, because it it shows that we are coming together for certain things. Like that's the reason Layla's here. The reason the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights Organization gathered together over a hundred different grassroots organizations. Real, very diverse group coming together. Very yeah, diverse. All of group. these groups are coming together for this one thing slavery and human trafficking. Because once you realize it's going down, you ain't got no choice but to add your voice to it. And, and let it me also, Max, for everybody. Max, let me also point out most of my frustration lies with the media and how they frame things. Okay? Uh, Malcolm X said media is the most powerful entity on the face of the planet. It controls the minds of the masses. It makes the innocent look guilty and the guilty look innocent. And so what I see as attacked by the media is to separate all the victims to get the victims to only focus on what's happening to them and not coming to the realization, to borrow the word that Sister Layla used, the intersectionality. All roads lead to slavery. Slavery That's Avenue. Right. All these side roads, all these these uh, turnoffs, and all of it is going to Slavery and Human Trafficking Boulevard. That's the intersection. In my I'm opinion. What's that, Layla? All paths in with slavery. I'm with you. Yeah, that's the I root issue that. of everything that we're dealing with. I mean, even racism, to a huge degree, 
didn't come before slavery. It came after slavery. Right. It was put into place to justify slavery. Right. The racism. Something that we see as one of the biggest issues that we're facing as a nation is not the core problem. It's a secondary issue that was put into place in order to reinforce the idea that Africans need to be enslaved, Native Americans should be killed and their lands taken, and anybody who is from any other country, as for instance the Coolies, uh, the Chinese, all of those people were less than the superior race. And Max, this is a conversation I've had with counter-racists, and I've tried to say to them that based on the research, what you call in white supremacy is a political construct that came about in the 1600s on this continent in the Virginia of Colony, which was a response to Bacon's Rebellion, where the victims, despite their skin colors, came together to fight the oppressor, and the oppressor's response was, okay, let's separate these victims, let's create this racial construct, and we'll say these Europeans are white, we'll say these Africans are black, and then we'll give special privileges to to the white ones to help us keep these one over here enslaved. But Something that somebody pointed out on what show was this on this network? They come on Monday nights, Melanated Roots. And they said, and they said something that made so much sense to me. And they said the 13th Amendment did not abolish slavery. It introduced slavery for all, regardless of your of your political classification. And they're right. It's just some groups are again are targeted more than others. But all all people from every group, I think you will find on a prison plantation. Yes, I say that often that no one is safe anywhere. No as one. As long as slavery exists legally, there is no such thing as safety or freedom. I don't care who you are, what position you're in. You could be the president of the United States or the janitor at McDonald's. You have the same chance of ending up in a cage as somebody's property. They're trying to get Trump right now to throw his ass in a cage, and a bunch. They just got Corinne, Corinne, uh, the the, Brown. the Congress, Corinne yeah, Brown. Corinne Brown. They just got her. Yeah, and and you know I had a conversation about her with someone, and I said, well, I don't want to see anybody going into slavery, but we do need to to provide justice for the victims okay this was not a victimless crime or anything like that but Florida has one of the most notorious prison slave systems in the United States I mean it is so deadly they had to create a new website just so family members could find out whether or not their loved one enslaved was dead or alive that's how many bodies was being produced by that system and I hope that nothing like that befalls her, but I hope from this experience that she will come out and she will become a modern day slavery abolitionist. Because sometimes, because remember, what's the guy name who was who was playing the violin and and you know doing business with these white folks until they kidnapped Solomon Northrop. Okay, sometimes it takes some of us to, it shouldn't take it, but sometimes it takes some of us to be enslaved before we become abolitionists because I do not recall her uh, ever, ever addressing the issues of slavery and human trafficking in Florida. I could be wrong, but I have never 
heard her say such a thing. And and again, you know, I just hope nothing happens to her and that she comes out an abolitionist. She's 71 years old. Just the act of putting her in prison is something happening to her. That's going to be highly damaging, and she may not survive it at that age. That's true. That's true. I missed something, though. What happened? Why did she go to prison? Corinne uh, was... Oh, why uh, did she go to prison? Yeah. She was convicted on uh, charges of corruption. Apparently, she was using, according to the courts, uh, a fund that had been set up to educate uh, children and using it as a slush fund for herself and two other individuals that was on her uh, under her employ. Yeah, so it was a scholarship. Hundreds of thousands of dollars, like $400,000. No, it was $800,000, Max. They had raised and yeah. solicited $800,000 to send poor black kids to college and only $3,000 of the 800000 raised was awarded in scholarships, less than $3,000 while reportedly she was going on lavish vacations, going to NFL football games and, and you know, just living beyond her means using that, that, that scholarship fund as her personal bank. And she's a senator. What is her? What was her? She is a congressperson, rep- representative. I don't okay. know what her occupation was professionally, but she was. She had been there for quite a time, right? So she might have been a professional politician. I couldn't answer that definitively, Sister Layla. And you know, just this past election season, uh, she had been subject to gerrymandering in her district too. I mean, it was real clear that that's what they were doing to her at that time. And she maintains her innocence. So I, at this point, I don't really want to point the finger and say just because the court convicted her that she did what she they said she did. Because I remember that they were just attempting gerrymandering on her. So if they need to get rid of her, usually this is how you do it. You know, you start accusing people of things like corruption or whatever it may be, and you get rid of them. Well, Max, the other yeah. person pled guilty and turned state's witness on her. And there was evidence, and she did do what she did, what she alleged to have done, but she tried to blame it on the other guy. So, you know, I'm not going to say, like, this was some conspiracy to to set her up. Um, Layla, this is her information. She was born in Jacksonville, Florida, earned a Bachelor of Science degree from Florida A&M University in 1969 in college. She became a member of Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority, one of the four historically recognized African-American Greek letter sororities in the United States. Uh, she earned a master's degree in 1971 from Florida A&M. She, in 1974, she received an educational specialist degree from University of Florida. She received an honorary doctoral law degree from Ed Edward Waters College in Jacksonville and has been on the faculty at the latter two schools and at Florida State College at Jacksonville. So she was an educator. I hear you. I'm just speaking of the Southern Poverty Law Center who has $360 million. They put out a couple of pamphlets putting people on their hate list and then they have offshore accounts of all these donations, and I'm trying to figure out the difference. You know, I'm not saying she didn't do that. I'm just trying to figure out the difference. Maybe yeah. she didn't do it the right way. 
she didn't steal the money the right way. Yeah, maybe she <laughs> should. Maybe she should have uh, taken lessons from Hillary, the Clinton family, with the Clinton Foundation, the Clinton, or yeah. from the Red Cross. Yeah, but you, again, like I said, I, I I don't feel comfortable at this point saying that she actually is as bad as they put her out to be. It's possible. We got a lot of bad people in there. But it's not going to make or break me to point my finger at her right now. I don't, it's not necessary, <laughs> you know. She's been convicted. She's going to spend a few years in prison. I think it's, what is it, five years in prison and then three years on probation, uh, supervising probation. She probably won't do when the whole five out, years. 76 years old. She probably won't yeah, do she, the whole five years. But, um, yeah. again, you know, we need to replace this system. But at the same time, I'm not for making excuses uh, for anyone. If you do, if you harm people, if you steal from people, if you rape people, if you murder people, then, you know, you put yourself in that situation and you, there's no one, you know, that I can say, you know, that, hey, they made you do it. You know, as an adult, I know right from wrong. I know that it'd be wrong for me to steal money from people. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to put myself in a position where I become a slave. But again, at the end of the day, I hope that she becomes an abolitionist because I have not seen where she's ever addressed slavery and human trafficking in this country. Yeah, I haven't heard anything like that either. And I've done some workshops with Florida, uh, people in Florida, both uh, live and through Skype, and uh, talked to the state district attorneys out there, and I've been on panels, and I've never heard a word from her. Well, we are up against the break. Um, do want to let listeners know, we're pretty much in freestyling with Max, but um, very interesting, uh, deep conversation that I feel that we're having tonight and addressing these issues and, and hearing each other's points of views. But if you would like to chime in, give us a call at 866-510-9025, 866-510-9025. Hit star, star to unmute yourself. Agreement is not necessary. We want to examine all points of view, all perspectives, because we all trying to trying to come up with a solution. I think if we hey, had yeah, the answer, Shout out to Yusuf, too. Brother Yusuf contacted me today and said that he'd been uh, invited to participate as a uh, spokesperson for the abolitionist movement on FM radio a couple of days a week. Somebody was asking if there was anybody with expertise in regard to the private prisons and, uh, you know, prison for profit. And Yusuf said, "Hey, here I am. Let me t- let me let me give you the word of how this goes. So, congratulations on him getting the word yes. out further on FM radio. Good job, great job. And please let us know uh, the details, like where we can tune in, so we can send that out to uh, so people can support you, brother Yusuf. Um, next story, next story, Max." Um, Tag shared a story with us in btrcommunity.com about a slave catcher violence. As I said, you know, we're focusing a lot. The stories are focusing a lot on slave catcher violence. And we just had a man shot and killed in the past couple of days. This occurred in New York City. Um, Let me see. Family seeks answers after NYPD fatally shoots a man. 
A family is seeking answers after police shot and killed a man armed with a machete while serving a search warrant at the wrong apartment. They claim officers were searching for drugs and guns inside of an apartment at 230 Brook Avenue around 4 a.m. Tuesday. So this was last night when they encountered Mario Sanabria, who who was 69 years old holding a two-foot-long blade in a back bedroom. So, again, here this man is in his own in damn his house. house. In his own house. You're doing a no-knock warrant. How do we know that? How does he know it's not a home invasion? This reminds me of the veteran who was about 70, 77 years old here in Gaston County a couple of years ago. They beating on his door, kick in his door. He comes out his bedroom with a twenty-two in his hand, not knowing who's breaking into his house, and it's the police doing a so-called welfare check, and they gun him down. Same situation I see here. He's got a two-foot-long blade in a, in his back bedroom where the police, the slave catchers, do a no-knock warrant. They say, again, they say, they ordered some Santa Bria to drop the weapon, but he did not listen. An officer shot him once in the chest. He later died at Lincoln Hospital. My uncle really didn't deserve that, says Santa Bria's nephew, Yabrin Santa Bria Ruiz. He probably didn't understand what the cops were saying because he doesn't speak a lick of English. Police say they were initially looking for a different man who they took into custody outside of the building. Relatives say Santa Bria lived with another family member who was in his early 90s. That man's son, Miguel Angel Condo uh, Conde, is who police took into custody. But they released Conde after he says they realized they had the wrong guy. Conde spent most of the day facing police questioning at the 40th Precinct. He says police had a warrant out for him on suspicion of guns and narcotics, but they ultimately let him go after he says they told him he was in the clear. Conde says police showed him a picture of himself, but it bore the name Daniel Conde. That's not me. I'm not related. I don't know him, he tells News 12. It's unclear why police were at Miguel Conde's home if they were not looking for Daniel, if they were looking for Daniel Conde, the NYPD did not immediately respond to News 12's request for comment. Uh, relatives remember Santa Bria as a calm, quiet man. They say he served in the Honduran military before immigrating to the United States in the 1990s. So, again, slave catcher violence. Uh, it don't. They don't care what your age is. They don't care if you're an elderly person. They don't care if you speak English, if you speak Spanish, if you speak whatever. They don't care. Slave catchers do what slave catchers do. All right. And no, at no point in here am I seeing where they said he charged that police with the, you know, how they tried to lie on Jimmy Powell until the video came out. Well, they still didn't admit the truth. But I can see this man just standing there. With, with this weapon to defend himself and then they just gunning him down. It's just disgusting to me, man. I'm I'm so tired of these stories. Max, Layla. Hey, uh, guys, I need to take five minutes so you can just go ahead and carry the conversation. 
Okay. Right we got you, Max. Layla, you have any comments on this Un- story? Unacceptable. I don't even care if you charge that this man. Unacceptable. Number one, stop going in people's houses. Number two, what dumb idiot judge signed that search warrant, signed that warrant? That wasn't a warrant for not going to court or which I still think they shouldn't be able to come to your house and get you. That was a warrant for the suspicion of narcotics and weapons. What does that mean? The suspicion? So you're telling me a judge signed a warrant to tell somebody to go in someone's house? This makes no sense to me. And Sister Layla, Sister Layla. operates makes no sense. They went to the wrong house. How many? I've heard that before. I haven't gotten there yet. Why were they even going to a house was where I started. But then on top of all of that, she went to the wrong house again and killed somebody again. This is not the first time. And then you're like, but he didn't listen to us. You, you, you kill deaf people for not listening to you. You kill um, blind people for not listening to you. You kill people who don't speak English for not listening to you. You kill handicapped people for not standing up when you tell them to stand up. When does it stop? I'll tell you. Um, we got a caller. Uh, we are up against our break, but we are going to take this call uh, first. Uh, Brother Watu. I believe Y2 is on the line. Thank you for calling in to New Abolitionist Radio. Please go ahead with your question or comment. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Brother Scott, in the Black Talk Radio listening audience. <clears throat> I had called in a couple of weeks ago in reference to a comrade abolitionist here in Maryland by brother by the name of Brother Abdul-Jabbar, and I was wondering if I could put out briefly, just put out a little information to share with uh, the listening audience. Would that be okay? Yes. Go ahead, Brother Y2. Okay. Uh, Brother Abdul-Jabbar of, of Baltimore, Maryland, a political activist and former member of the Yuhuru movement and the African People's Socialist Party, and a leading prison organizer in Maryland, tirelessly working to, to uh, expose and overturn the prison industrial complex throughout Maryland and the nation. Brother Jabbar, as a member of the Ujima's People's Progressive Party in Baltimore, was a part of the organizing committee that did work throughout the state and the region to gain the freedom for Black Panther member Eddie Marshall Conway, who had been locked down for over 43 years. Brother Jabbar is currently experiencing serious but temporary physical limitations that has resulted in him not being able to carry on this most important work uh, that he has been working on you know, for, for many, many years. Brother Jabbar is the co-chair of the National Jericho Committee, as well as the director of communications for the aging people in prisons, uh, uh, Human Rights Commission that was formed in the wake of uh, an investigation hosted by the United UN Human Rights Council uh, a few years ago. Uh, he is the, uh, like I said, he's the director of communications. Brother Jabbar has been guest on many radio shows across the region, sharing his insight and strategy around overturning the colonial relationship that holds our people as fodder to fuel their capitalist empire. I call on the entire audience of Black Talk Radio to reach out to Brother Jabbar with your kind words of encouragement and wish him a speedy recovery as he is itching to get back into this work. Brother Jabbar can be contacted at uh, area code 410-892-6840. He can be emailed at abduljabbarkhalif. That's A B D U L. J A B B A R 
C-A-L-I-P-H at gmail.com or the U.S. mail at P.O. Box 2639, Baltimore, Maryland, 21215. Can you get a phone number again? He reminded me again that the state of Maryland is trying to reinstitute the death penalty. Uh, For years, there's been a moratorium here in Maryland, but they are, uh, again, approaching that discussion with the intent on uh, bringing it back into into the law. Uh, Brother Jabbar also wanted to uh, uh, inform the audience, uh, and I know many of you already know that, what we're beginning to see right now, that one time the prison system was such that uh, fathers would see their sons coming into prison uh, and, uh, you know, being incarcerated. But now uh, he said that there is an intergenerational uh, incarceration whereby it's not just sons and sons meeting fathers, now you're seeing families, entire families being locked down uh, by this system for the benefit of of, uh, of uh, them, you know, gain, becoming richer. Uh, right. Another thing of note that he had mentioned that there um, uh, there's over 4,000 there's over 4,000 people on death row in the state of Maryland. But this Maryland is the only state that requ- that requires the government, the governor's, I'm sorry, the governor's approval uh, uh, to to to, be, to to become eligible for parole. Maryland is the only state in the in this union. I guess that's the right word, union. Uh, Corporation. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. C- Corporation. I call it USA Inc. Since the federal government uh, incorporated in 1871. Yes, I, I was trying to think of that as I was saying that. I got, yes, thank you, Scotty, for that. But I, I, I want to thank you for allowing me to take the time on behalf of Brother Jabbar. And um, the brother is just itching to get back into work. Uh, he, he had uh, some serious complications, but he said it's not going to stop him. As soon as he gets out, he's going to be, you know, hitting the step just like it was when he, uh, before he before he got sick. Sound like a very so, again, dedicated I warrior. Thank the audience. Yeah, he sounded like a very... Scotty, the conversation we had the other day, um, in conversation with my, my daughter, she's listening right now, and we're going to be we're gonna be uh, doing what you suggested. I will be. Okay, so that, that'll be great. That'll be great. But if you would, will you please give out his contact information one more time? Okay, his contact information, It's his phone number, it's area code 410-892-6844. He can be emailed at Abdul Jabbar Khalif. That's A B D U L J A B B A R C A L I P H at gmail dot com. And his regular mail address is Abdul Jabbar at P.O. Box two six three nine Baltimore, Maryland, two one two one five. Okay, thank you, Brother Watu. And if you see see him, please pass along our well wishes to him. And we hope that people will call and or contact him and give him words of encouragement. He sounds like a real warrior um, who who just doesn't want to rest. But sometimes we need to rest and let our body, you know, heal itself. But we certainly appreciate his dedication, which you have expressed to us tonight. All right. Thank you, Scotty. You're welcome, Brother Watu. 
You have a good evening, and I look forward to working with you and your daughter in the future. All right. Thank you. All right. Sister Layla, did you have any words before we take our break? Go ahead and take us on the break. Okay. Um, like I mentioned at the beginning of the program, um, Monday, I believe that was Monday. Was it Monday the 4th? Yes. And that is the observance of the assassination of Fred Hampton, who was a victim of the FBI COINTELPRO program, counterintelligence program to target uh, black groups and leftist groups and Vietnam War protesters, uh, but primarily to take out uh, black leaders who J. Edgar Hoover thought might become a messiah and unite black people against this system. Um, so I want to honor him after this break. I want to play this clip. And this is Fred Hampton's words him, coming from him himself on solidarity and why the Black Panther Party was targeted. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We air every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Stay tuned. No, I'm not a writer. Okay. Black Talk Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. You are here to judge between two conflicting testimonies. Somebody is lying. Now, reason stands. I have reason is very clear here. That Private Jones, who had come from Sanford, North Carolina, would have no great desire to see Fred Hampton up in this trial. But Fred Hampton, a key figure in this community, has great reason for not wanting to be put at, uh, in jail. But the state's attorney and the state's attorney's office has reasons to see Fred Hampton in jail. We've got a new state's attorney, you see. And he said already what he thought about people that had different uh, political beliefs than he had. His speeches sound somewhat like those of Hitler, and we know why he wants to see Fred Hampton put in jail. Why do I have a lot of arrests? Because of harassment. Why is that harassment? Because the people that harassed me have set up a problem that made me disagree with them violently, and, and they, they set up this problem in order to exploit me and other people like me. And why they want to get rid of me because I'm saying something that might wake up some other exploited people and some other oppressed people. And if all these people ever get together, then these pigs that are exploiting us, we'll be able to run them into the lake. That's why they want to get rid of us. And it's just, uh, it's sort of like a primary thing with me. I'm the, I'm the first move that they'll make. I'm a part of an organization who will be the first organization they'll move on because I happen to be a part of an organization, the Black Panther Party. That is the only organization, in fact, that has came out and stood up loud and clear and said that we don't care what anybody says, whether they have guns or not and badges or 18 uniforms, if whenever they step outside the bounds of legality into the bounds of illegality, then we'll blow their brains out if they're bothering the people. Right and what makes them mad about that? They're constantly bothering the people. 
anybody that's out there for the protection of the people happens to be in direct conflict with them. What makes them mad about it? What makes them mad about it is that they have black people and white poor people and red poor people and Puerto Rican poor people and Latin American Puerto Rican people of uh, all poor people of all descents. They had them caught up in their movements based on racism when the Black Panther Party stood up and said that we don't care what anybody says. We don't think to fight fire with fire best. We think you fight fire with water best. We're going to fight racism, not with racism, but we're going to fight with solidarity. We said we're not going to fight capitalism with black capitalism, but we're going to fight it with socialism. We stood up and said we're not going to fight reactionary pigs and reactionary state attorneys like this and reactionary state attorneys like Hanrahan with any other reactions on our part. We're going to fight their reactions with all of us people to get together and have an international proletarian revolution. Right on. Right on. Right on. Right on. And that's saying all power to the people. Right. That's saying that no matter what color you are, there's only two classes. And that's saying there's a class over here and there's a class over there. And the reason that this class over here has never did anything to get this class off its back because this is lower, this is upper, this is the oppressed, this is the oppressor, this is the exploited, this is the exploiter. And these people in this class have divided themselves. They say, I'm black and I hate white people. I'm white and I hate black people. I'm Latin American and I hate hillbillies. I'm hillbillies and I hate Indians. So we fight amongst each other. And you've you heard the testimony of pigs here. you got pigs of all colors. You know that. you got pigs that are white. you got pigs that are black. you even got pigs that are black and white. Propagating the same type of madness that uh, the, this buffoon Henry had would be propagating if he were here himself. And why? Because they want to keep you to believing that I'm your enemy and that everybody else that's black and that wears a lot of hair on his head and hair on his face. They want to keep you thinking that he's your enemy. Why? Because if ever you would disregard him and overlook him just for a minute and throw away that question of racism and started to deal with a little logic, then it could be, there would be no one else you could attack other than Hanrahan, other than Daly, and other than Tricky Dicky Nixon. If you make the right decision, then the press people of the world will get complete satisfaction. I know you return a verdict of not guilty. Thank you. All right, that was, again, Fred Hampton, may he rest in power, who was assassinated by the Chicago police on the orders of the FBI. And it's just a shame that, you know, no one has ever been prosecuted for his murder as well as the murder of Mark Clark and I would say the attempted murder of his uh, girlfriend who was lying in the bed with him pregnant when the pigs busted in and and filled them full of holes. So, you know, we got to remember, we got to remember those who have given their lives uh, who came before us. Sister Layla. Yes, sir. I know my background's a little noisy, sir. Fred Hampton's assassination is one of the um, pinnacle moments I know growing up that made me understand how wicked this place could be. I couldn't really hear the video that well, so please, can you put the link on the site? I would love to just sit back and marinate on that. Yes, I will. I'm sorry if y'all weren't able to, to hear it clearly. Max, do we have you back? Yes, sir. I'm back. Uh, right. Thanks a lot for giving me a break. You know, I, I've been doing a lot of moving lately, like literally furniture moving, uh, and I'm physically not able to do it. And it, now I'm all swollen up, so it takes me a while to get to the bathroom. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm hobbling, literally. 
so pardon me. Well, like like I, uh, I said about brother uh, uh, Jabbar, that hey man, you get a certain age, you gotta allow your body to heal, man. And and I know you know you had to do what you had to do, but we're hoping that you're gonna recover too. Me too. I think I might end up in urgent care tomorrow because it's been going on a while, and like my body parts are swollen up so big. But enough about me, brother. Uh, listening to Fred Hampton, and he was expressing there about unity in that video, uh, about you know how we had been separated and how we were coming together. And that, as you said, that led to his death. Uh, anytime you threaten the establishment by bringing together the various groups and, and people across the country who are under the thumb of this oppressive system is a threat to the system itself which is why the abolitionist movement is a threat to the system itself with real successes that have almost crippled the system to huge degrees. Uh, for instance, the stock market dive of August 18, 2016, where they almost went out of business in one day. Uh, the $5 billion in divestment programs that we reported on from this program. I'm assuming that we're not the only ones that were aware of certain divestment programs so it's probably closer to 10 billion dollars for all we know but, but these are things that threaten the system as we know it and that's the effects of what they will do most certainly um and we do have brother yousef on the line uh welcome brother yousef hey peace family how's everybody doing this evening Doing the best yes, I can. Brother, welcome. Yeah, I've been listening in all night while I was, you know, multitasking, really enjoying the show. That uh, clip from Chairman Fred was dynamic, brother. Thank you very much for sharing that. You're I was welcome. Giving a shout out to you earlier too, by the way, Yusuf, about uh, yeah, what you told I, me. I, I heard that. You know, I am kind of holding off until it's official. You know. It's it's not official yet, but I should right. know within the next day or two to where we can make an an official announcement and you know put the information out there because I, I think it's 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 something that's going to help with the next level because we have this radio show, there are other radio shows going on, and the more you know we can reach out to people to get the word out, you know that. The word is getting out so much that people are starting to create platforms and starting to invite us in because they know, you know, just keep ignoring it. You know, and if, if, if I can just be given two minutes, I want to share an article that I just came across from a, a judicial decision that came down today. Do we have time? Because I know we're running short on time. Go ahead, bro. Okay, this comes out of, uh, it's listed in seattletimes.com by way of the Associated Press. And the article is entitled, uh, it's from a judge, State Can Sue Detention Center Over Inmate Pay. Washington State can pursue its lawsuit seeking to force one of the nation's largest private, privately run immigration detention centers to pay minimum wage for work done by detainees a federal judge in Tacoma ruled Wednesday. U.S. District Judge Robert Bryan denied the GEO group's motion to dismiss the case. The for-profit company runs the Northwest Detention Center, a 1,575-bed facility in Tacoma where detainees are held pending deportation. 
In a related case, Brian also declined to dismiss <coughs> sorry, a complaint by a former detainee named Chow Chen, who seeks class action status in back pay on behalf of all Northwest Detention Center detainees who have performed work in the past three years. GEO pays detainees a dollar per day to volunteer for tasks such as janitorial or kitchen work. Washington's minimum wage is $11 per hour. The state wants GEO to give up the profits it has made by relying on detainee labor over the past decade, potentially millions of dollars. Uh, and long story short, uh, this is something that, you know, we talk about all the time here on New Abolitionist Radio and all of our various different Facebook groups. Uh, it's dealing with a private prison company, and we know what they do. You know, they, they, they sell out their enslaved for profit, sell out the labor. They're giving the inmates a dollar an hour. The court has ruled, you know, that, hey, these, these are detainees. They're not state prisoners. So you have to pay them the state minimum wage. And just as, as I just posted in our various groups, this is something, another lawsuit that we can, you know, keep a close eye on and start filing our litigation on its heels because this will apply to, this, is a, this, this comes out of the Ninth Judicial Circuit. It's, it's sort of like a hot circuit for these type of uh, lawsuits, mm -hmm. even going back to the orcas that I mentioned a couple of months ago, you know, to where this is a hot topic in these circuits and they're ruling that these private prisons are going to start having to give up minimum, give up at least minimum wage for this. That there's going to be no more of this paying a dollar or fifty-nine cents. You see the fires out in California, so you know all of the they're pulling out all the uh, enslaved over there and giving them a dollar or two dollars a day. So I just wanted to introduce that. I'm not going to take up a lot of time because I know there are a lot more topics to be covered. The articles are in the groups, and everyone can look at the article. Uh, brother too. Yeah, brother Yusel. This this is a story that we reported on when it, they first filed the lawsuit. And Max, if you remember the interview I did with the Asian attorney out of California, Angela Chan, who yes. wrote an article saying that the Thirteenth Amendment, which legalized slavery, did not apply to immigrant detainees and that that was illegal slavery because as Brother Yusef just pointed out, they were not uh, convicted of any crimes. So the 13th Amendment don't apply to them. So this is another way to highlight that slavery ain't never been abolished. This case highlights that because these people have not been convicted of a crime, the courts have ruled that the GO group has to pay them at least the federal minimum wage to do the work in the prisons because they're pretty much running the prisons. They get the prisoners to run the prisons, okay, to do right. all the maintenance, to do the cooking, to do the cleaning, and now they got to pay these people. Now they got to pay them because the courts are saying that they are not legal slaves and you can't do that to them. But that's right there. That's the key. And so that is why when we had on Sister um, Shabazz on a couple of weeks mm -hmm. ago, and she said that 
we are focused in on on the right thing and getting that exception clause removed from the 13th amendment because then we can then file similar legislation like these immigrants just did Right, because now they're placing the border at the 13th Amendment saying that, okay, you have not been convicted of a crime yet, so you're not liable to be enslaved or state property to be used in this way. But once you become convicted of a crime, whatever the crime may be, then it's okay to go ahead and give somebody a dollar a day for an $11 an hour job. Absolutely. If you get that, because there's another story coming out where now they're saying that they can... uh, take the money directly out of the commissary so whatever money you're making now can be taken directly out of the commissary uh, for whatever reasons that the court wants to take money from your commissary Hmm. Hmm. this very important case brother yourself and I'm sure you know as a person who used to practice law that you understand the legalities and how how would you say this is setting a precedence this this is a huge decision. Mm-hmm. This is a huge decision. You know, it's in district court. I'm sure GEO Group is going to appeal to the circuit court. You know, it's a huge decision, but they don't really have a leg to stand on. You know, because it's clear cut within the law. And, you know, the article, it also goes on to say that, uh, uh, give me one second. It was one little sentence that I really liked. Having the detainees perform that work so cheaply fills jobs that would otherwise go to local residents, yep. while keeping labor costs down at a state prison benefits taxpayers. Keeping them down at the private detention center benefits only GEO. So I, I was very dynamic for that to be mentioned, and it's actually uh, the uh, assistant attorney general who said that. Wow. Assistant attorney general of uh, Washington State. Mm-hmm. Well, so this is this is something really big, and like I said, we have to, you know, on our, on our conference calls and on our different gatherings, you know, we have to start considering litigation. That you know, we we know plenty of people within the system that are working for Verizon or working for or Ida or whoever, and they can start bringing these suits. It's not those in the state prisons, definitely those that are in county jails. Well, that's the problem we ran across with the chicken farms, too, and that there was care, and care where the people Mm -hmm. who were being sent to those chicken farms had never been convicted of a crime, and some of them had their charges dismissed after they had been sent to the chicken farms to work for free on a chicken farm that would send this chicken out to all these different fast food restaurants across the globe. But Max, you know, the problem with that is they agreed to go. Now, I would say it was under coercion. Either you go or you can spend the time in the county jail. All right. But they will try to say, well, they agreed to go. They they agreed to go. So this again points to why we must stress upon people. And I know if I'm not the one that's staring down 25 years, then it's easy for me to say, hey, stop plea bargaining with these people. Don't you know that 90, what is the statistic, Max? 90-something percent? 95 percent. 95% of these cases is ending in, is is ending up through plea bargains. And that if that 95% that, that the people that that represents, if they all said no, I didn't do it, or I don't think that I should go to prison 
for uh, uh, this street market, you know, dealing that I'm involved in when the government is the one bringing the drugs in and they all decided to take it to trial and give people the opportunity to practice uh, what they call jury nullification. But that would stop. That would back the courts up so far, man. It would be years before anybody case would ever come up. Which would be a constitutional violation in itself. Absolutely. Not to cut you off, uh, just briefly, I went to go see this uh, Roman J. Israel Esquire, and like I said on my on my on, on my Facebook page, I was lured in because it gave me the impression that it was going to be about the Sixth Amendment, you know, and all of these backroom deals that were going on. I saw a couple of little advertisements for that, and I'm like, wow, I need to go see this movie, see what's going on about this. What are they going to talk about? Only to find out that it was just briefly mentioned in two little scenes, and the the movie was really whack, if you ask me. It was a whole bunch of nothing about nothing. (laughs) So just for anyone that was interested in that, that's just my take on it. But that's what lured me in. I thought, although it was mentioned, you know, and he made a strong argument one time he was in court, and there was another scene where he mentioned it again, but that was it. It's not what the movie is about. False advertisement. Well, I'm not too happy yeah. with Denzel these days anyway, so, you know, I wasn't planning on going and see it. Yeah, yeah, I just had to go because <laughs> when you start talking that Sixth Amendment, we know how important that is. Right, Sixth, Eighth. Well, at least let me go check it out to see if it's if it's something, but you know, it's just false advertisement. You know, it got me in there, got me for thirteen bucks, man. Yeah. Hey, we do need to take our last break. Uh, we got three segments to cover in twenty minutes. That will be the underground writer of the twenty first century underground railroad, uh, the abolitionist in profile, and our uh, history and rebellion. Um, so let's take this quick station identification break real quick, just 15 seconds. And we do have Brother Otis on the board. Want to recognize him. And Otis, we'll get you on the other side. Max. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here on the Black Talk Radio Network.com. We're talking about modern day slavery and human trafficking as it is allowed through the 13th Amendment. And we'll be right back after these messages. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for podcasts and live program scheduling. Visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All right, that wasn't even 15 seconds. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Did you miss me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are we're going to get into, I guess we're going to take a call in from Brother Otis, and then we'll get into our final segments. And there was one thing that I did want to mention before we get into our final segment. So, uh, Brother Otis, welcome home. Hey, hello, uh, gentlemen and lady. Uh, I just wanted to make a quick remark about what Scotty was saying when it came to the people that weren't sentenced, but on the chicken farm deal. Actually, those people were actually lured into an agreement because they thought they were going to Christian alcoholics and addicts in recovery, and it ended up they were work, put to work in a chicken farm. So they were actually tricked into agreeing to recovery. It's still Instead, coercion, wouldn't you say, though? It's still exactly. Co- yeah, it's still yeah, coercion. It's co- that, I just yeah. wanted to make the point that uh, supposedly to avoid a criminal conviction, 
they were agreeing to a recovery program and then found out they were in it. I actually posted it in the chat room right quick, but I'll mute myself and love the work. No doubt. Thank, Thank you, you Otis. Appreciate that. Uh, Lately, was there anything that you wanted to cover before we got into our final segments? Um, I don't see her on the board, Max. She dropped off. Uh-oh. Okay. Scotty Reed, was there anything else you wanted to cover before we got into our final segments? Um, no, but I do want to stress the importance of that case that you self just brought up. That's a court that's making yes, a distinction sir. that something that these private prisons are engaged in slavery. So, uh, again, you know, we almost brought them down by putting pressure on certain politicians to introduce the Justice is Not for Sale Act, um, putting pressure on the Obama administration, although I think it was strategic, him waiting to the last few months of his administration, uh, uh, giving them time to recover with the election of Donald Trump. But, you know, I get frustrated. But you all are right. We do need to recognize the progress we're making, however small or what have you. I don't even want those people to be in prison getting paid minimum wage if they didn't commit a crime. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, uh, uh, but I do recognize the damage that that's going to do to that industry by cutting into that company's profits. When they now got, and hey, I would even push that, hey, you got to provide them with health care coverage too. You got to provide them with everything you would provide any exactly. other employee. This brings in the labor, right. the Department of Labor. Would you agree yourself? Absolutely. Absolutely. You knocked it out the park with that. Health benefits, vision, dental, everything. Vacation pay, holiday pay. Safety, security. Yep. 401ks. <laughs> any, spe- any specialized training, all of that. Monumental case, monumental case. Yeah, we'll keep our eyes on these cases like this, and I'm glad to see more and more of them coming. Uh, this is one of the ways that we're going to bring this whole system down is by showing just how criminal it is. All right, well, uh, before we get into our next two segments, there was a couple statements I wanted to make about some things that are going on in popular culture today. Uh, one would be uh, Joyner Lucas's song that just recently came out. I'm not a racist. Right. I listened to that in detail, and I'm telling you right now that it is doing nothing to help us at all. And then right. you got people who are replying to it, like me, my song, for instance, and writing the second verse, which was the black man's verse. Mind you, one person wrote both verses, the white guy's verse and the black guy's verse. But people are rewriting the black guy's verse because it was so damn weak that it just sounded really like this whining little child going on. In the meantime, he allowed this white racist supremacist verse to go on with the things that we hear every single day and didn't need to hear. And I did a little research on Joyner Lucas and found out that a lot of his songs are like that. They put black people in a very bad light. They often present the white racist supremacist version of black people in his music. He may talk about social issues that are kind of, you know, things that people don't talk about, but he also talks about them in a way that puts black people in a bad light. It's a habit of his. If you just go through his discography, you'll see it. From I'm Sorry to Forever to Keep It 100 to Just Like You, they all do the same thing. So he's constantly putting black people in this bad light. And if you're pushing that video out there, all you're doing is hurting us. You're not helping us at all. So that's the first thing. 
The second thing is the whole conversation about Meghan Markle and, uh, you know, who is black and who is not. There's a lot of conversations out there being had about people of multiracial descent and whether or not their connection to the African diaspora is legitimate. I just want to put this out in the air. If you're going to talk about me, I'm here. You can give me a call. You can bring me on your program. Don't sit up there and talk about people like me without people like me on the panel or in the discussion. You wouldn't want nobody to do that to you. Don't do it to us. There are millions of us out there, and I'll be damned if I'm just going to sit around here and let you take away my blackness and not have anything to say about it. Period. Word. I heard that, Max. I agree. I agree. Again, this goes back to the issue I was trying to bring up earlier. Separation. Separating the oppressed. And then we get into these little sidebars and these little arguments among ourselves. Like you just said, who's black and who's not black. And at the same time, we, you know, we're taking the focus off of the person that's oppressing us all. So I'm with you on that, Max. As I told, as I've told people, you know, one of my best friends, a brother from another mother, is one of them people that you talking about. And I consider him more of a brother to me than you, because I don't really know you. I never met you. And so there it is. Amen. I, I, I'm, I'm able to speak, so all I got to do is give me a call. It ain't like I'm in hiding. People know who I am, and I can speak for myself. Just give me a call. I'll come on and talk. Tell you what you need to know. Well, let's get into our final segments here. We only got uh, 15 minutes left to do them. Scotty, do you want to start or you want me to start? I'll start. I'll start with the writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad, uh, Larry and Calvin Olins, Omar Sanders, and Marcellus Bradford. Bradford were convicted of the October 1986 kidnapping, rape, and murder of 23-year-old medical student Lori Rossetti in Chicago, Illinois. The four teenagers allegedly jumped into her car as she drove home late one night, took her to a secluded location, and proceeded to rape her, rob her, and beat her to death. In 1988, the two Orleans cousins and Saunders were each convicted of the crime and sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. So um, let me see what old two teenagers at the time. So, you know, that's another issue. Um, But then it goes on to say Bradford pleaded guilty and obviously under coercion to aggravated kidnapping and was sentenced to 12 years in prison in exchange. I knew it was coming in exchange for testimony at Larry Island's trial. Murder, rape and armed robbery charges against him were dropped. None of the teens were old enough to be eligible for the death penalty. At trial, Bradford testified that the four teens abducted Rossetti and drove her to a remote location where he and Saunders got out of the car to act as the lookouts while the two cousins assaulted her. When she tried to escape, according to Bradford, Larry Islands crushed her head with a chunk of concrete, carried her back to the car, and he and Calvin raped her. That's necrophilia. A friend of Bradford's provided additional testimony recounting a confession by Sanders with sim- substantially similar facts. Bradford later claimed, later recanted his statements, saying police coerced him into falsely confessing and that he did so to avoid a life sentence. Again, it's all based on coercion. Crime lab analyst Pamela Fish testified that semen found on the victim's body 
could have belonged to uh, Alan, how do you pronounce this name? Alanis, but a recent examination of her notes by a DNA expert showed that none of the four men's blood types matched the crime scene samples. Fish, whose testimony helped convict several innocent individuals in the Chicago area, has since been transferred to an administrative post. Let me say, she wasn't fired. She wasn't fired. She wasn't fired. She would just get she was just transferred. In December 2001, the convictions against all four men were vacated and charges dropped after DNA tests on spermatozoa and hairs found on her body and in her car proved that none of the men were the assailants. Calvin and Larry Islands, age 29 and 31 respectively, and Omar Sanders, age 32, were released from prison after spending more than 14 years, nearly half their lives, enslaved. Bradford was released after serving six and a half years of his sentence. So let me just say this. I know that some people will will say, you know, shame on this this teenager for for. Uh, given false testimony that led to the conviction of these four other teens. But listen, okay, this was a teenager. And this is a teenager whose brain wasn't fully developed and he was coerced. He, his life was threatened. I like to think that if I was in a similar situation, that I would not go along with it. But we never know until we get put into that situation. But I'm telling you, I wouldn't, Max. I wouldn't narc on you. I wouldn't narc on you, yourself, especially for something you didn't do. All right? So, exactly. but at the same time, we still need to recognize him as a victim, too. All right? So, welcome to freedom, um, these young men. Wow. Welcome. All wow. right. Uh, hopefully, uh, Layla comes back before the end of the program. And uh, I know she was dealing with some issues today. So uh, in any case, I'm going to go on to our abolitionist in profile. Today, it's Moses Brown. Many former enslaved enslavers took up the abolitionist cause during the 1700s, but few made as radical a conversion as Moses Brown. The Rhode Island native and Brown University co-founder, came from a prominent family whose commercial interests included slave trading. Brown owned several enslaved people himself, but he began to question the practice in the late 1760s after a disastrous voyage saw the family's enslaver's ship lose more than half of its 200-person human cargo to disease, suicide, and failed insurrection. The tragedy weighed heavily on Brown's conscience, and by 1774, he had converted to Quakerism and renounced slavery. I saw my slaves with my spiritual eyes as plainly as I see you now, he later recalled, and it was given to me as clearly to understand that the sacrifice that was called for of my hand was to give them liberty. After manumitting his slave, Brown cut ties with the family's slaving business and became an ardent abolitionist. He assisted in court cases involving blacks unfairly held in bondage, distributed pamphlets against slavery, donated land for black schools, and campaigned tirelessly for the abolition of the African slave trade on both the state and federal level. 
even after Rhode Island banned the slave trade in 1787, he founded the Providence Society for the Abolition of Slavery to help prosecute those who violated the new law. Before his death in 1836, Brown had a personal meeting with famed abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison, who deemed the reformed slave trader an extraordinary man with interests in all the great philanthropic movements of the age. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you, Moses Brown. Salute. All, All right, right, Scotty, you want to get that last one? Yes, I, yeah. I will get that last one. Um, I was just tied up. I seemed like we having some technical issues with the server, but uh, I just checked. We are streaming online. All right, so the last um, one is the history of rebellion, Wesley Harris is the uh, person that who, who we are focusing on. And let me go ahead and start. The Amazing Adventure of Wesley Harris began in 1853 when Wesley's overseer tried to beat him. Wesley didn't care for beating, so he took the whip away and beat the overseer instead. Obviously, <laughs> this kind of behavior wasn't tolerated and his owner decided to sell him. However, Wesley had different plans. He teamed up with Craven Matterson and his two brothers, stole a cache of weapons, and made a run for Canada. All was going according to plan until the group was spotted by a farmer, but the guy seemed friendly and spoke like a Quaker, a religious group which hated slavery. He agreed to hide them in his barn and even fix them breakfast, but he still gave Wesley a bad feeling and his suspicions were confirmed a few hours later when the farmer returned with seven armed men. When the posse demanded the victims of slavery come along quietly. Wesley said they'll have to take him dead or crippled. Suddenly, things got crazy. One of the Mattersons pulled out a pistol and shot the backstabbing farmer. Then Wesley drew his own gun and emptied the cylinder, wounding at least one officer. Out of bullets, he pulled out a giant sword and hacked his way to the barn door. Men were falling left and right until one of the slave hunters blasted Wesley with a shotgun. The men surrounded Wesley and beat him with their guns before tying him up. Craven Matterson, who'd been fighting as well, was also beaten and bound. The other two Mattersons never moved. Sadly, the Mattersons were taken to town and sold, but Wesley had lost too much blood to travel. The slavers decided to imprison him on the second story of a tavern until he was healthy enough to walk. Two weeks later, Wesley was conscious and planning a second escape. With outside help, he acquired three nails, which he stuck under his windowsill. He then tied a stolen rope to the nails and lowered himself to the ground using his one good arm. Wesley quietly made his way to a prearranged spot where a friend gave him a horse and he galloped off to freedom in Canada. And wow. New Abolitionist Radio salutes Wesley West Harris. Harris. Man. Yes, sir. Yes, salute. That's a that's a, a a feature film right there, Spike Lee, Oprah, somebody. They all feature films, Scotty. That's why I was so happy when they came out with Underground as a series, and I was so disappointed when they discontinued it because it was the first time it really put a the people who deserved to be treated and seen as heroes as heroes. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
I agree. But again, I don't expect the system to be sharing any kind of inspiring stories to give any of us any kind of ideals in, in, you know, filling us up with thoughts of rebellion. So, I, you know, I don't expect the system to do that. That's why we got to do it. Yes, we have to do it. All right, Scotty. Well, we've got uh, just enough time, I guess, for our final comments of the evening. And uh, I see that Layla hasn't been able to get back on, so I'm assuming that she had some issues that she had to continue dealing with over there. So I would like to say goodnight for Layla, and I'm sure that she would uh, probably say something along the lines of my brother John would say, you know, uh, Scotty? Uh what the quote from John? <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, peace to the, what is it? Death. Uh, peace to the, the abolitionist. The abolitionist. Death to the oppressors. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, again, um, I just want to thank everyone who tuned in, everyone who called in and chimed in to share information with us, particularly the information shared by Brother Yusef tonight. Um, it just shows that our research has been right on point and that whenever it gets tested in the courts, hey, the courts seem to agree with the arguments that we have put forth. And, you know, it's just great to see these small victories. And I call them small victories because everybody's not being set free. Okay. But any relief that is brought to any present day victims of slavery is worth celebrating. And it lets me know that I am not wasting my time and that this is a well, this is a, a cause that is well worth all of our time and our energy and our resources. And I'm just hopeful. I'm just hopeful that before it's my time to transition to the ancestors that I will see what Max wrote about when he wrote the little essay, The Day Slavery Ended. Peace. Peace. Brother Yusuf, would you like to add something? <laughs> what can I say on the heels of that? Eloquent words from the brother. Uh, I just thank, you know, you all for this platform, you know, and just for bringing me along for the ride, man. I'm just forever grateful for my eyes being open to this and just the, the great network of people that we have all across the world that are fighting to end slavery. All right, then. Um, I'm going to keep mine simple, too. I want to... Uh, first, let me put, put, put this out there. There are only three classes of slavery. Legalized, illegal, and metaphoric. The latter being the most popular in social rhetoric. And I want to end with a quote from Frederick Douglass. I have observed this in my experience of slavery, that whenever my condition was improved, instead of its increasing my contentment, it only increased my desire to be free and set me to thinking of plans to gain my freedom. I have found that to make a contented slave, it is necessary to make a thoughtless one. It is necessary to darken his moral and mental vision and as far as possible to annihilate the power of reason. He must be able to detect no inconsistencies in slavery. He must be made to feel that slavery is right, and he can be brought to that only when he ceases to be a man. Frederick Douglass, Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass. Remember, 
abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know peace. Peace, all. Just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared if his protection is gone and your enemies are near if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake break and fall if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all rise up no matter if the prize is high in the skies or deep deep in perdition if our leaders are globally despised and always seem to rise to attrition or blatant nepotism if women and children have to live in impossible conditions if you have to die due to someone else's damn decisions rise up when innocent citizens perish for all our sins sake if the future seems bleak and your soul's at stake rise up when it appears that any hope left may already be lost if the price is your son or your daughter's life and you refuse to pay the cost if you ever had to ask god why and the thunder rolled if you just once had to wonder have we sold our souls rise up for the life of an unborn child when the homeless are reviled and the masses are beguiled rise up when our doctrines dictate that we all deal in debt when we stop giving more and we start caring less if the best we can do has already been done if the battle isn't won and the fighting just begun if you don't see none and know we really need one rise up tuned in to the black talk radio network and we are not done with our live streaming for tonight coming up here in a few minutes will be the return of mind body and spirit after a short hiatus looking forward to hearing from sister black rose and feather light tonight so keep it locked right here mind body and spirit will be starting momentarily <laughs> 